Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Lots to talk about tonight. We've got Sam Northeast scoring 410. Ben Stokes retiring from One Day International Cricket. Yasser Shah's amazing delivery and a recap on the New Zealand Island Series. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, I think we'll start with the home side. So New Zealand versus Ireland. Listeners may have dipped in and, and listened to Mark Ellison and Lippy chatting about things Irish cricket and the first part of that series. But pre- pretty comfortable in the end on the results ledger, but a, a little bit of promise from Ireland at times through the series. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll give um, Mark a big shout out, actually, because uh, when we talked about that, uh, it just been finished the ODI series moving into the T20 series I kind of asked him you know what what are we sort of looking for and he said Ireland at this stage are a much better ODI side than T20 side and it certainly played out that way Ireland had their chances a couple of times and and probably the first game and the third game where they they put New Zealand under a bit of pressure but kind of yeah every time that that happened someone from New Zealand stood up which is I guess the, the big positive from from New Zealand's side and uh and they yeah came away pretty comfortably in the end and I think Probably the the biggest standout for me is is the batting. Uh, a lot of uh, someone like Glenn Phillips, I think, is is a real person that I I have a lot of interest in him in terms of where he fits into this side. I, I sort of still feel like maybe he's wasted down at down at five in the in the T twenty lineup. But I guess I sort of feel that way about kind of everyone that bats at T twenty cricket at number five. So yeah, well, it's it's interesting, wasn't it? Because uh, when just before the 2020 World Cup last year, he was my guy to explode mm. at that 2020 World Cup. He didn't quite do it, but I feel like you're right. Five is far too low. We, 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 he needs to be opening or batting at four, like he was in this series, and he can produce the goods. I was actually really impressed with his batting. How do we do that though? Because that's that's the question I was uh, sort of posing to myself. If that's the case. You know, at this stage, um, I mean, we should probably mention they've just named the the squad for three ODIs and three T20s against the West Indies. It looks pretty much like a full strength side, I guess. If I if we were going into if we went into the T20 World Cup and the ODI World Cup with that exact squad of fifteen, it probably wouldn't surprise me a huge amount. And in that squad, you've got Finnell and you've got Daryl Mitchell, who obviously did a tremendous job for us in the last T20 World Cup. And yeah, Finn Allen, you know, maybe he's there as backup, but yeah, Phillips, Phillips in there at five, it, it seems hard to fit him in unless you're going to slip out someone like Conway or Williamson because they're, they're your three and four, aren't they? Well, that's what makes these series that we've just seen with Ireland a little bit confusing for me. Uh, just like when I think we went to the Bangladesh, didn't we, just before mm. uh, the 2020 World Cup and we had Ravindra averaging five with the ball and <laughs> five with the bat, opening the bat, opening the batting. And it just, just confuses things a little bit for me because what more could have Phillips done there? He scored 250s, hasn't he, and a 30-odd. Now he's going to go back down to five and, and make way for some some bigger names, which... Look, maybe that's fine. I don't know, but it just makes things a bit confusing for me um, when we've got teams like this where we're playing our B, B second side, if that's how yeah. we want to say. Yeah, it, it feels bored a little bit like, I guess, Australia's lead into that um, World Cup in Dubai and, and the, the Arab Emirates where you'd kind of got some almost experimental sides in some of the series leading up to that. And kind of we were standing here, you know, at this table, I don't know how many months ago that was, but talking about, you know, you're in disarray, you don't know what your best side is, but 
um, then kind of turned it on in that in that tournament to a certain extent. So yeah, thoughts on it? Is this a magical plan for the Black Caps? I think what it shows is that New Zealand have a lot more depth in their T20 squad now than perhaps they had 12 or 18 months ago. I mean, the same names are there, but if you add an X Factor like Finn Allen to that squad that's got Daryl Mitchell and Martin Guptill available to open the batting, you've got Anchorman in, and I may be being... Or Farrell. Uh, 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 yeah, could be. Um, in... You've completely thrown me there. Conway, in Con- and in Conway and Williamson, thank you. And then you've got explosive guys down the order like Phillips and Nisham. You've almost got two batters at every kind of block position in your order, and now it's just a matter of who's going to stand up between now and when the tournament starts. This West Indies series, I mean, we're going to pillory um, the schedule of cricket in about four or five minutes' time, <laughs> but actually for New Zealand, this lead-up series in the West Indies is as important as Australia's West Indies series was last year in establishing the credentials of Mitchell Marsh, who went on to have a great tournament for Australia and was instrumental in their success. So, you know, this series against the West Indies is Glenn uh, Glenn Phillips's chance to really nail down either the number four spot, which is always tricky in the T20 side, or a number five spot for New Zealand where he becomes more of a finisher. And then it becomes a matter of, well, what do we do with Daryl Mitchell? What do we do with Finn Allen? What do we do with Martin Guptill? Because you can only have two of those guys opening the batting. So, look, good problems to have now for New Zealand in that they've got enough depth that they can start to play around with, well, what is our best combination, rather than trying to figure out, well, who do we actually go into our um, tournament with as our best 11? There's going to be lots of bowling options for New Zealand, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's starting to build quite nicely for New Zealand from a depth point of view. Speaking of our best 11, I liked... um Ish Sodi and his returns that he's had over this series. He's been a real consistent performer for a long time now, and I think he's definitely our number one white ball spinner, which is going to be Interesting. important. You'd Sentner? No, no, 100%. I think that Ish Sodi is our number one white ball spinner. He's not there to save runs. He's there to take wickets, and that's what he's doing. I think he's going to be very important on the uh, pitches in the subcontinent for white ball cricket if we uh, – well, well, I'm assuming that's going ahead. If we decided when, what month that is, we're not sure yet. Yeah, February. I think it's February, March, the, the, the ODI World Cup. So, yeah, I think he'll play – certainly be in the squad, I would have I would have thought, for that tournament. And, um, yeah, I, look, I liked seeing Santner come back into this tour. I think it we, he's sort of been forgotten a little bit because he's been – out of the side for for a little while. Obviously, we played a bit of Test cricket, and um, you know he's he's dipped lower down in the picking order in that. But I, I think your point about Sodi being a wicket taker is really really significant because probably in the in something that kind of goes unnoticed a little bit in T Twenty cricket when you're sort of thinking about uh, someone like Santner who's probably more economical is that particularly in Australia, yep, absolutely in Australia, we're going to have to take wickets yep. to, to really keep that run those runs down and, and even putting it back to the likes of uh, that conversation we were having before about the roles that the batters that we have play. Five and I think probably why Phillips is going to end up being at five is because there actually are not a huge amount of players that fill that, that power role, the five and six kind of role. Actually, Phillips and Nisham and Bracewell has performed to some degree in, in this series, certainly on obviously in the ODIs. That's probably the where the depth isn't there for New Zealand, I don't think. So yeah, look, mm. it's it's a great point that you make about Sodi being a, a wicket taker and how important he is. And oh, I think he's going to be huge in Australia. I really think that if you look at the success of Kays Ahmed, you have a look at the success of um, Rashid Khan, and you have a look at the emergence of Tanvir Sanger, 
in the last couple of editions of the Big Bash, all leg break bowlers who can bowl a good googly, who can turn the ball both ways. And I think that's going to be huge in Australia. I really think that teams are going to probably go in with one primary spinner and a backup. So, you know, Phillips, Bracewell, players of that nature who can bat and bowl you two or three overs are going to be important and a primary wicket-taking spinner because I think you're probably going to take Lockie Ferguson. You're almost certainly going to take probably Trent Bolt. And then it's a question of who else do you have in that pace attack to complement those two. And then that becomes a question of do you take a third-pace bowler or do you take someone like Mitchell Santner? And I just think that New Zealand will have a better balance if they've got a little bit more pace on or they've got options there and that they can produce that spin option with Phillips or whatever. But I think Sodi's going to be a massive, massive um, in for you guys in that in that tournament in Australia. And I think if he has a good tournament, New Zealand are a chance. The the one guy we probably should mention again, Michael Bracewell making some making even even more claims. Kind of Ireland will be kind of sick of sick of the sight of him. I think he bowled five deliveries in that whole T Twenty series, and one and three of them he got a hat trick. So it's pretty uh, pretty good going, and certainly has kind of put his uh, best foot forward. We've talked about the West Indies tour just coming up, but there's also kind of uh, some uh, a couple of games against uh, the Scottish up next, which will be interesting because they've just sacked their board due to uh, racism stuff. Which they, they resigned it now, I think. Oh yes, sorry, yeah. yes, they've all resigned. Uh, yeah, cor- good correction there. And then uh, a single T20 against the Netherlands. So yeah, lots and lots. And then even after the West Indies, there's three ODIs against Australia. So it's a it's a very sort of packed schedule, but. Michael Bracewell has taken his chances, but again, I don't see how he gets into our best 11. Yeah, look, that, that was going to be my question, is what, what role does he really play? And to pick up on Bordy's point around Sodi, I think he's dead right, particularly in Australia. I, I feel as if the way that you're looking at T20 cricket now, orthodox finger spinner, even as good as Santner's been with economy rates and that ability to hold, I think players are going to go at that kind of bowler in that tournament. Um, and that's not just him. I think anybody who just bowls, you know, relatively orthodox finger spin doesn't have that kind of mystery. I think you're going to see big bats and good wickets and, and people try and take those guys down. Whereas someone like Sodi gets that little bit of extra bounce, you know, is always looking to take a wicket. There, You know, there isn't a sort of containment component. But then when you've got... Um, you've got Bracewell in there as well. Is he another person in that mould? Is it a guy who bats a bit, can bowl a bit of spin, decent fielder? You know, what, what role is he playing in that squad? My question, that's a great question to ask, actually, because I'm assuming as a spin bowler, Stu, I'll throw this question out to you. How annoying is it seeing someone like that come and bowl five balls and take three <laughs> wickets, a hat-trick just there? Was it 9, 10, 11, I think it was? Um, I don't know where he fits into the to the team that's the the quandary about 2020 cricket which is going to be interesting when we get onto the scheduling that it feels like someone can come in and make a real impact um from anywhere and i'm not sure where he fits in that team as from a plan role perspective yeah look i i think realistically he's probably if i was picking the squad right now he's in your squad but he's probably one of your your squad players in terms of he doesn't make that starting eleven. He's the, he's an option to bat at seven if you want to strengthen your batting lineup, I suppose, and and not have uh, so a center in there. But if, you know, if we look at how he was used, I mentioned he bowled five balls in this series, so he wasn't being picked in T Twenty cricket as a frontline bowler. And we with Nisham in there, with Phillips in there, there are Mitchell in there, there are bowlers who can bowl and maybe they go look we're just going to pick four guys that can bat bowl and from three to seven and make up four overs there and then we're going to pick eight nine ten eleven to bowl out to bowl there out 
and and make it up that way. But I, I don't think he's sort of established himself in that format just yet. But yeah, so got, what we're saying, chances. what we're saying is that the bellwether here is whether we start to see him bowl more against Scotland and against the Netherlands, right? If he doesn't bowl at all, or he bowls very seldom against Ireland and the Netherlands, uh, sorry, against Scotland and the Netherlands, like New Zealand cricket aren't holding him back as a trump card, right? So if he's going to play, no. then they're going to have to bowl him in this series, and they're going to have to bowl him against the West Indies to find out what he's got. Otherwise. I think we established that he's the backup to Glenn Phillips, effectively from a from a from a spin bowling point of view, all round and batting point of view, right? That's effectively what we're saying. Yeah, maybe it, may, it might be a centner. Maybe he's a you know maybe, but I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. We just talked about how impactful Sodi is, but I still feel like centner's probably the the first name that they put on that sheet. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. But like you say, there's there's a lot of options, and I guess it probably highlights the fact that uh, at least on the ODI side. Henry Nichols has uh, has been dropped. Will Young has been dropped. My my stock has just been absolutely uh, taking a hammering there. There's not much just I can do like about Bitcoin, it. I just have mate. to yeah. I just have to hang on to it now. But yeah, I, I think and someone like Tim Seifert has certainly you know he's gone way down down the pecking order. And I think it looks very likely that we're going to have I guess a, a bit part keeper in the likes of. Uh, Devin Conway probably again at that T20 World Cup unless someone can emerge. Cleaver did p- put in a good performance against the Irish, but yeah, I would expect that it's going to be either uh, either Conway ho- holding the gloves, wearing the gloves, or it's going to be someone like even even Tom Latham is is in that squad. But I, it would be very surprising to see him in the T20 World Cup. So yeah, a lot, lot of things to to play out over the next couple of months. Well, we better do some prep for the preview show, boys, and uh, yeah, form our opinions. Um, I'm going to ask a loaded question here. Um, ben Stokes retiring from T, uh, sorry, from uh, ODI cricket, so the 50 over variety. I said before we came on air, like, is this a case of you know there's going to be a format change to the way international cricket runs? Where is this schedule going to go uh, over the course of next? Uh, four or five years. Well, we just spent five minutes talking about how many games New Zealand are going to play in the lead up to these World Cups and T20 World Cups and ODI World Cups. It feels like the, I don't want to call it the Future Tours program because it's not, but it's whatever the white ball version of the Future Tours program is, is that there's a white ball tournament that feels like every year. Well, there is a white ball tournament every and year. It's, yeah. But that's, and okay, so that for a start, that's too many tournaments that the ICC are hosting and therefore too many lead up games into those tournaments. It's just too much. There's too much meaningless bilateral white ball cricket. And we said that two years ago on the show. And we said that there would be a time when players are starting to have to choose between club versus country. And his, this is the biggest instance, not so far, but this is the biggest instance in 2022 of a player having to choose either between club versus country or between formats. I mean, Ben Stokes is going to continue to play Test cricket for England, which is fantastic. I mean, he's been an inspirational captain for them. And he's going to continue to play T20 cricket, I assume, both at an international and a domestic level. But if he's having to say, I can no longer give my best to ODI cricket at the age of 31, we have reached a point where there is a genuine problem. And we're actually past that point. Let's face it. We're past the point where this is a problem because if this – this has happened because of something that didn't happen 18 months ago, two years ago, when we knew that this was coming and we didn't do anything to change it. In fact, the ICC doubled down on international tournaments in white ball cricket as being the vehicle that drives cricket forward. That is not going to work long term. We've seen it. We know that it's not going to work now. There are now two new massive startup 
um, franchise tournaments in the United Arab Emirates and South Africa that are already starting to increase player drain from other T20 domestic tournaments. The IPL is only getting bigger. It's now got 10 teams. I wouldn't be surprised if it has 12 in three years' time. This problem is getting worse, not better, for international cricketers. And by worse, I mean there's too much cricket and they're having to choose what they do. The only way to fix this is to reduce the number of ICC tournaments and to reduce the number of games that teams play in the build-up to those tournaments or make them meaningful and impactful. The current World Series League table, Raj, talk us through that. How is that? No. I mean, you mentioned it before, but is it actually shifting the needle for teams making their ODI cricket more meaningful? Because it doesn't seem that way from the outside looking in. No, I don't think it is. I think, <clears throat> interestingly, the Test Championship has done that a little bit mm. and made Test cricket more meaningful, made those bilateral series more meaningful. But I don't think it's done the same thing for, for ODI cricket or even the, the 2020 cricket. My, my question here, and it's going to be to you, Baldy, is do you think that this is... They used this earlier, they used this 12 months ago as catch-up for when they had COVID, they had the pandemic, they had to forego a lot of series, so they're playing catch-up, but it just seems like it's actually an excuse just to play more cricket and it hasn't stopped. It's not going to stop. When It's not going to stop. It's never going to stop. And the problem for me with the whole World Series League table thing, whatever it's called, the ODI table that gets you into the World Cup, is that there's really no jeopardy for the top eight sides, right? The top eight sides are pretty much locked in to make it regardless of what they do, right? Uh, I don't know. South Africa's in a bit of trouble now. Okay. So so what happens to South Africa if they finish outside the top eight? They play some repercharge tournament against somebody and then they make it anyway, right? The only way well, possibly, for, but the yes, only yeah, way for those games to have meaning is if that there is some serious jeopardy of missing out on the World Cup or having to play some ridiculous, well, not ridiculous, but some one-off winner-takes-all qualifying game, one versus one, like New Zealand have just done with Costa Rica in the football, mm, I think, yep. and Australia had to do against... Peru, I think. Oh, I can't remember who the nations were, but... This isn't a football podcast, don't but, worry about but it. My, my point is there was real jeopardy there, right, to yeah. get into a major tournament. And I think the only way that bilateral ODI cricket or any kind of international ODI cricket has any meaning to it is if there is some jeopardy involved. If there's not, then it's just we're gearing up for a World Cup and it really doesn't matter and it's just money-making, if you can make money out of it, which is a dubious proposition anyway. I think there is some jeopardy. I, I will push back a little bit on that saying, yeah, you know, if South Africa misses out and, and finishes in that repercharge kind of tournament, then they're going to have to play against the likes of Ireland and Netherlands and all these sides, and they there's, there's a chance that they could lose those games. That You know, that that's possibility does still exist. I get your point that... You know, the way they're playing at the moment, uh, it looks like they would still make it in that. But I guess how do we how do we reconcile with the fact that we want the ICC to kind of push for growing the game and all of that kind of stuff? You, we've just talked about, you know, New Zealand is going to Ireland and they're going to Scotland and then they're going to the Netherlands. And this is sort of seen as a good thing. And then when you get sides that say, oh, we're going to tour Zimbabwe and we're going to do this. How do you get around that but still play Enough you don't. You to... don't have to. You don't have to get around it, right? You don't have to get around it. You build those series and those matches into qualification for the World Cup, right? So you build in either a conference zone like football has, or some other mechanism that requires or allows or encourages play between New Zealand and the Netherlands and Scotland and Ireland, etc. That forms the backbone of qualification to the World Cup, 
right? And that means that associate nations will play each other and the associate nations or the tier two nations will play the first tier nations in that format because they have to in order to qualify for the World Cup. The thing is, you can't do that every year. You can only do that in a meaningful build-up road to the World Cup way if the World Cup is in every two years or every four years, and I'm including T20 and ODI cricket in that bracket, right? So a T20 or ODI World Cup every two years. If there's one every year, you just can't do that because there's too much cricket, right? So less is more for the ICC because it will mean that every game is more meaningful. You can't have an 82-game regular season in cricket because it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I- I think that the thing that stands out like a sore thumb for me is that we've just talked at length about New Zealand and Ireland and the chopping and changing of the squad and what does it mean for the 50-over World Cup and what does it mean for the T20 World Cup. Let's not forget, we're about three months away from a T20 World Cup. And to be honest, England had just played, I think, six, I would say, completely meaningless one-day games against... I think India and South Africa shows how much I've been paying attention. <laughs> I've just said to you guys, I did not miss a ball of the test series. I've not seen a ball of this white ball stuff because it just feels as if the, there's just too much cricket mm. um, going on, even for, for the paying public to watch. But also in that lead into a T20 tournament, we're, we're playing a format that isn't relevant in the next, you know, the next three or four months. And, um, the future tours program as well. Interesting um, to get your boys' thoughts on this, particularly after the West Indies helped England out two years ago during COVID and played a, a bubble home series. England now don't tour the West Indies for five years to play test matches. So this whole scheduling thing is, I, I just, I don't know what to make of it, but something has to give. And for me, it has to be a format that disappears other than potentially a World Cup in that format um, with no bilateral cricket to support it. You just actually have that knockout World Cup tournament as the pinnacle of that um, particular format if you do want to keep it in the game, Raj. Yeah, just picking up on your chopping and changing, do we think that the talent pool or the depth of player is deep enough to sustain the amount of cricket that we've got going at the moment? I'll give you an example here. We have teams who are playing different, completely different teams for the same country who are playing different teams on consecutive days, consecutive sometimes. days in different countries. You know, you think back to like the early two thousands or whatever, that was your team. You had your 11 cricketers, they were playing the white ball. They were playing the red ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I would rather see quality cricket from quality cricketers. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like we're not getting that quality. If you look at the likes of Tim Southey, Trent Bolt, Ken Williamson, they didn't play in this this series with Ireland. They're not going to, in the Scotland one either, I don't believe. No. But I want to see them play. You know, they need a rest. That's the other side of this coin. But for, as a person who was enjoying the product of international cricket, I want to see those guys playing. If you know what I mean, is is that a problem or a depth problem? Do you think that there is there? Well, that's where we started the conversation, right? You've got a guy at 31 years of age that isn't going to play another 50 over game in his career, potentially. The only England player that's going to play all three formats this summer for England is Johnny Bairstow. So if you want the quality of the format, like you say, Bairstow, Bolt, Williamson, Saudi, whoever you want to throw into that mix, they've got to be able to, if they want to, 
play all three formats of the game. And I think if you asked an international cricketer, would you like to represent your country in all three of those formats? They would probably say, yes, I would. Um, but they're going to have to make choices, particularly look the, the Indians, the Australians, the Englands, who, who do play more cricket. Let, you know, let's not get away from that. They play bigger test match summers for sure. Um, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to choose. And, and, and cricket is the poorer for them having to make that decision as individuals, because again, the ICC are toothless, really, to step in and solve this problem from a logistical perspective. It's the three biggest boards that are making these decisions. Well, and I think the challenge is, when I look when I look at this, the easy answer, you sort of just touched on it there, Binksy, before, when you said one of these formats should, should disappear in terms of international cricket except for a World Cup. Did, we don't need to play T20 international cricket except for a World Cup. The World Cups are fun, but the issue is that... That's where all the that's where they get the crowds. You know, when New Zealand comes to to cricket, uh, to when New Zealand has a tour here, the only games that Eden Park gets, for example, are T20s because they can fill it up for a T20. They can't they can't fill it up for a Test match. They can't fill it up for a for an ODI game. So, yeah, look, I I I really don't know what to do. But when I when I look at things, we it's the T meaningless T20s that I don't think we need. Well, boys, I'm not really sure how we segue um, out of this one. Let's leave this in the edit as well, just to show the punters um, what goes on in the recording room here at Baldwin um, Towers. Um, let's move on. We've got other bits of cricket going on um, around the world. Baldy, do you want to talk a bit of Yasser Shah? Or, or have you not got that audio queued up? I've got the delivery queued up. If we want to have a look at it, have you guys seen the Yasser Shah delivery no. In, no. The, in the recent test match? All right, come around, come gather around the screen. We'll pause the video. Uh, we'll pause the podcast. You'll watch the video, and then we can react to it because apparently reacting to to things <laughs> is a is a thing. My son watches it all the time, so I think you have to be filming it though to see what the yeah. reactions are. Oh, we've got to do audio reactions oh. after, afterwards. Is that what we're saying? Okay, this isn't going to work. But I'm going to play you the delivery. We'll pause, have a swish, and come back. So there it was, boys. The first test, Sri Lanka and Pakistan. Yasir Shah bowling to. Kasal Mendes on 76. Sri Lanka had a mountain to climb in the second innings, really, to get back, get themselves back into that test match. I mean, there was points on the first innings, but they really needed to get somewhere in that second innings to give themselves any chance. Mendes was the man. Cometh the hour, cometh Yasir Shah. A delivery that, out of the hand, drifted outside leg stump, at least seven or eight feet outside <laughs> leg stump. Gripped. Turned, bit, fizzed incredibly, eight, maybe nine feet, and hit the top of off stump. Casal Mendes on 76 had no idea what was going on. Mike Getting style probably still doesn't know, and they're playing the second test now. <laughs> this ball has been compared to the ball of the century from Shane Warne. The Top Order podcasts react. How did you see it? Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. I'm I'm probably in the minority, I think, on the when I'm looking around the room because I kind of appreciate and will watch basically any spinner hitting the stumps at, at any moment of of time. Um, but yeah, look, I I don't think it was quite worn, but it was very very nice. I think what probably we're going to have after this uh, after this little segment is some people saying, "Would you like to Would you like to keep this segment in the future or, or not?" And they might vote for not. But look, carry on. See what have you got to hey, say? Hey, no Bixi? idea. No idea is a bad idea. It's certainly not. 
He's not played it very well. And can it's I get actually that? a good point? <laughs> and can I get that twelve seconds back? No, you can't. It's twelve seconds well spent. Hey, we spent twelve seconds looking at Legspin on the Top Order podcast. You've made me happy for the next month. You guys can talk about whatever you want, Raj. I, 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 unfortunately, I have to agree with Binksy. I don't think he played it very well. I uh, can't play that stuff off the back foot, champ. Get on the front dog and keep it out. But um, just from that test match, just carrying on from it, was a great chase by um, by, by Pakistan yeah, to win that, uh, Stu. You want to walk us through it? Oh, look, just unbelievable. I, I think uh, the fact that, I mean, I don't know, you know I, I hate to bring it back to that New Zealand-England series, but, you know, you look back... I don't know, three or four months ago, and 300 was a really, really tough chase in Test cricket, and now we're just... It's yeah, seen, it's, but, but Stu, have a look at the runway. 127.2 overs, run rate 2.7. I mean, England were at least twice as fast as that, uh-huh. chasing down their 300s. I mean, come on. Let's let's not, you know, put them in the same... I did actually a very good chase in the subcontinent, 344 Impressive for six. stuff, impressive stuff. And, and Abdullah Shafiq, 160, carrying his bat in the chase is actually pretty handy as well. Let's just leave it there. And, and I guess impressive run rates, you want to talk about English cricket. Uh, Sam Northeast, 410 off 450 balls or something. I was uh, bigging up, big-upping it before, Binksy, but you don't think it's that impressive? Oh, I guess when you score 400, it's pretty impressive. But I think um, good wickets, it's the second division of the county championship. You've got to feel sorry for David Lloyd and Eddie Byram opening the batting and um, going for two and one, respectively. Obviously uh, saw the shine off the new ball with Ingram coming in um, and getting 130 and northeast 410. Uh, not out strike rate, just a tick over 90. Look, he's written into the record books alongside um, Brian Lara, 501 for Warwickshire against Durham back in 1995. And one of my early cricketing heroes, Graham Hick, 405 not out versus Somerset at Taunton in, I believe, 1988. Um, certainly got a few crit out of me to buy the Duncan Fernley 405 limited edition. Um <laughs> After that, I don't think I'm going to be out to buy a Sam. You're not Sam going to Nor- get the the Star the, Northeast. I don't think I'm going to be after the Sam Northeast. Okay. Um, in all seriousness, though, disappeared off the radar a little bit. Sam Northeast, he's you know he's spoken about uh, as a potential England player, but um, yeah, I, th- I think you know even with this monumental effort, we'll we'll struggle maybe to get a look in with the way the batting's going at the moment in that England Test side. And I think anyone, uh, as much as you've played it down, I think anyone that hasn't seen that scorecard uh, of Leicestershire versus Glamorgan should take a look because it is unbelievable. I'm glad you mentioned it. Unless you're a bowler, mate. Like, do not read the figures if you come well, from Leicestershire. I'll well, tell you, you. Can look at the fourth innings if you're a Glamorgan fan, though, because, yeah, they've Leicestershire scored 584 in the first innings and lost by an innings. So, yeah, remarkable kind of game and... Um, I'm glad you mentioned Eddie Byram as well there, just to, so that we can get a record and cricket club member, uh, a former record and cricket club member in there. So, yeah, very well done. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure glad that we've uh, sort of highlighted one of his, you know, best days at the crease. Just the the one run. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll move quickly on from that, and just I guess since we're on the county championship, a big shout out to Will Williams, who I think is uh, is going to be someone who is quite uh, heavily missed, I suppose, in Canterbury cricket. We've talked on the podcast before about how his performances in the last couple of seasons for Canterbury and, and the way he's been building and, and always sort of near the top of the charts in the Plunkett Shield. He's now moved over to England permanently, or at least in a cricketing sense, has moved over there as a, a local and in uh, playing for Lancashire and has made a great start. Scored five, you know, played four games, contributing with the wickets. I think he took a five for in his last game. 29 not out to, to bring his side home. So, yeah, looks like someone who's going to be making contributions for, for that side and uh, a big change for his career. On a serious note, is that of any concern for New Zealand cricket that a player's making a decision to move away from 
the New Zealand setup. I know he's, you know, probably past the chances of playing for the Black Caps. He's nearly 30, I think. But is that at all a concern that, you you know, you're losing players to, to ply their trade because of, a you know, a, a passport somewhere where there's a bit more money maybe in the domestic game? Uh, I don't know. I suppose it is in some sense, but I, I would think probably, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what's happened with William Williams. I wonder if he's had a conversation with the selectors. I wonder if he's looked around at the, you know, the the team, the players that are, he's kind of vying for positions. I would say, you know, without being harsh, he's he's feels like he's probably best suited for county cricket in the terms of, in the fact that his pace that he get, generates is kind of perfect for that kind of environment. Maybe the step up. Would that would get found out? But to be fair to him, he's he's performed at every single level for New Zealand uh, for Canterbury whenever he's been asked and done a brilliant job. So yeah, look, it's a shame to not have him in the setup. I think if we'd have had some A cricket for New Zealand over the past couple of years, if COVID had hadn't kind of ruined all of that stuff, then we probably would have seen him in the New Zealand A setup, and we might have been able to see him in some different environments and and had an opportunity to I guess press his claim. But it probably yeah, I mean I, I don't know how the I have no idea how the county championship sort of money compares, but yeah, look, it it's, seems obvious that it's a, a better opportunity for him financially and, and something he's decided to take. So wish him all the best. Awesome. Well, guys, that does um, end a rather windy night of podcasting um, here. And I'm talking about sort of hurricane gales rather than um, any flatulence <laughs> in the room. Um, but do dip back into the back catalogue. Um, an awesome interview with White Fern skipper Sophie Devine. She spoke with Stu and Baldy earlier this week, preparing in my home city of Birmingham for that Commonwealth Games. The final, for those of you who want to tune in, is on the 7th um, of August from the Edgebaston Cricket Ground. So mark that down in your, in your diaries because you, you've got to think that the the White Ferns are, are a chance to certainly get into the semi-finals, if not um, that gold medal match as that tournament uh, progresses on current form. So looking forward to seeing Commonwealth Games cricket in action. There's obviously a whole heap of white ball cricket going on um, in the world for those of you that want to tune in and um, we'll be back in your feed as well of course when the red ball stuff starts up in earnest as well uh, to talk about all the things that we love. But for now it's good night and God bless from us all here at Top Order Towers. Uh, We'll see you very soon. Good night.